0: As they're going back, I was, as we were singing that, I was thinking of those verses about hallelujah for our king, hallelujah for the king, forever. And that's what we're learning here as we're working through Matthew, specifically the red letters about where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this, that we are reborn spiritually into a new kingdom, to a new king. And a new way of doing things. That we are not of this world; we're of the the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches us like this is what it's going to be like now, and then this new kingdom to come. And so that's that's what we've been looking at is how Jesus reveals truth about the kingdom of God. And and I do pray that that we all believe that this is God's word, His instructions to all of us about His kingdom, about His Son and about the way that we live our lives. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to that now. If not, we'll be up here on the screen as well. So we've been uh, been looking at these parables. I don't know how many we've looked at now, maybe five or something, about where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. And we looked about like sowing the seeds of the gospel to people that falls on four different soil types and what that looks like. We looked at some people claim to be Christians or like the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the darn that some are not. We won't know. God will sort all those things out. And so it's all these principles about he's he's teaching us about what the kingdom of God is like, um, but he's also teaching us um, what to be looking for in the kingdom, but also how to correct maybe even our own lives. And what to do about that. And so we're going to be looking at this principle today. Um, but, I, but my prayer for you is that Jesus here, He's teaching us through these parables that, it, that if you've been reborn into the kingdom, that you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, there's some, there's some things and some evidences of things that are going to be happening in your life. It doesn't automatically happen all at one time. Like we're being sanctified daily. We're, we're becoming more like Christ daily. But there's some things that Jesus tells through these stories in chapter 25 that you should all go and read and look at to say, am I doing these things? Are there evidences in my life that I'm a follower of Jesus? And so that's my prayer that you would look at that today as we look at this parable of the ten virgins and again, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning or a heavenly truth. It's a story that Jesus uses to go alongside truth so we can better understand the, the truth of the kingdom of God. And so, as I read through that, I want you to keep that in mind. I wonder in this world how many people are prepared for Christ's return. Like, if He came back like right now, how many people would be prepared? That if we took our last breath on this planet earth and we wake up absent from the body, present with the Lord, that we're standing in front of Jesus himself, how many people are prepared for that? And it's this idea of this preparation, being prepared for eternity And when I read the story, the parable about the ten virgins, I don't want you to get wrapped around the idea of ten virgins, not to get too focused on that, but I want you to stay focused on the main point of the parable. But to do that, we need to understand what's going on before this parable and what's going on after this parable. So we're going to be, this this parable is going to be sandwiched in there, but I want you to focus on personal preparation, personal preparation. In chapter 24 of Matthew, we see that Jesus is going to return. That's something that Jesus says, the Bible predicts, that he will return. And in verse 36, it says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the sons, but the Father only. So who knows when Jesus will return? Only the Father will know. But the Bible is clear that we should be watching and we should be preparing for that time that Jesus will return. Now, there are a lot of views about Jesus' return. There's three primary views on that. My personal view is that I believe we will be raptured, believers, the church, will be raptured before the tribulation. It's called pre-tribulation, that we will go up and, and be with Jesus. We won't experience the tribulation now that's my personal view on that and in the meantime as we're waiting on the Lord to return nobody knows the time or the hour like he'll come like a thief in the night but in that time we are to be being prepared we'll also see after this parable we'll see after that it says God gives us all talents that we should use That's going to be the sermon for next Sunday, for Thanksgiving, to thank God for the talents that He has given us, for the kingdom of God. So I'll just barely touch on that today. But after that comes this idea of caring for the least of these, caring for the least of these. And that's this idea of like God testing our hearts on where we are. And so, first up, the parable of the ten virgins. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll circle back through. This is God's Word. Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. And the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Last verse, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. A wedding during those times in Jewish times had three different stages now, my wedding, I was just wanting it to hurry up and get over with. Amanda really enjoyed it. I just wanted it to quickly be over, not my thing. So imagine if you had like three stages to being married. That would be torture for me. But there, was, there were three stages for marriage. The first one was engagement. Kind of sounds a lot like what we experience here. And now is a time of engagement. The difference is that it was arranged marriage. We don't have that anymore, thank God. Um, Couldn't imagine who my parents would have picked out for me, but uh, (laughs) that was interesting to think about for a a hot second. But it was an arranged marriage, so there was this first part of an engagement, and then after the engagement, the second stage was this betrothal ceremony. So that was when they exchanged their vows and their promises for each and every, it could could last for hours, days, weeks, but there was this time period where they would exchange their vows and their promises to each other. Once that stage was over, it was a legally binding marriage. Right. So the husband, the bridegroom, went on to prepare a house and do all the things. If he was to die during that time, uh, she would be considered a widow. So it was a legal binding marriage. But the third stage was actual marriage. And that was when the husband or the bridegroom would go to prepare a home or to prepare a place for the bride to come. When I was reading that, I just thought of this John fourteen three, where Jesus says that if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. Right? I was just it popped in my mind. I was like, I never made that connection about where the bridegroom leaves to prepare a place for his bride. Just as Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm preparing a place for you, and I'll come back and get you. But this marriage process would take some, I read somewhere, it could be up to a year, the bridegroom would go and prepare a place. Then he would come unexpectedly. The bride did not know that he was coming. He would come at night. And then, so that's why the bridegroom they needed the the lamps, right? They needed the lamps to light because there was this lighting ceremony to light the way to this new house. The ten virgins represents the ten lamps that were in a bridal procession during those times. So here we pick up on this story, and the first two phases of a marriage, the stages have already taken place. We're in that third stage where they're waiting for the bridegroom to come and to get his wife. This also represents—you may have made the connection about Christ's return, and how to me, it's Christ's return is a celebration. It's a happy thing. It's a joyous occasion. That we should all be anticipating and waiting on. But the Bible says to be prepared. Because in verse 2 of this, it says, Five of those who were foolish and five who were wise, some were prepared for the bridegroom's return, some were not prepared. When I officiate a wedding, uh, which will be coming up soon, in a couple of weeks, I always get with the bride a Zoom call or whatever, and I'm like, all right, I want you to know I'm not in charge. <laughs> like, like, please pick somebody else. You know, like pick your mom, pick the bridesmaid, pick somebody that's in charge of this wedding, because I have a very specific thing that I do, and I don't want like bridezilla, like mother laws, like I don't want anybody mad at me. I just, I, I, I'll make sure you guys get down the aisle properly. I'll make sure you get out. That's, that's my job. I got the, you know, the whole ceremony thing. But other than that, I'm not in charge. And this reminds me that I am not in charge of your spiritual preparation other than bringing you the Word of God. Like There's personal responsibility. These bridesmaids, they had personal responsibility to be ready for the return of the bride. It's the same thing with you. It's your job to make sure that you are spiritually ready and spiritually prepared. And yes, I'll bring you the word of God. I'll meet with you. I'll pray for you. But there's personal responsibility there for all of us. In verse 3, it says, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Imagine showing up to work every day. You leave your laptop. You, you leave your tools at home. You just show up and you're not ready. It's foolish, it's foolish to do that. And then in verse 4, we see the opposite of that. It says, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. Others are wise. Others are prepared. And in verse 6 through 7, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Now, the lamp was actually kind of a torch. It had like the rags wrapped around it, and they would trim it, make sure it didn't get out of control when they lit it, when they had the oil on there. And the interesting thing when I was reading that, it, it made me think that at that specific point, they were all asleep, they all woke up, all ten of them, they trimmed their torches, they all looked the same. All of them, all ten of them looked exactly the same. There was no distinction. And remind me of the weed and the tares that we talked about. Sometimes you don't know the difference between people. There was no difference. Sometimes that's at church or others claiming to be Christians. We all seem to be and appear to be the same thing, but at some point there's a distinction made. In verse 8 through 9. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. They all appear to be the same until the bridegroom shows up. Some just seem to be going through the motions, not prepared and you may feel sad for those that weren't prepared. Like, oh man, I feel bad for them. Why didn't they just give them some of their oil? Like, give them a break. Probably had a rough one day, just forgot their oil. But I think they knew. I think they knew they weren't ready. How could you not know? How could you not know that you need the oil? I mean, that's just part of, like, you have two responsibilities. One is the torch, and the other is the oil. That's all you need. People have excuses. Refuse to repent and follow Jesus. They know something is missing in their life. I was helping Nick with Awana on Wednesday night, and the memory verse is Romans 1.20. And if you know that verse... It basically says, like, there is no excuse for anyone to not know that there is a God. His invisible attributes, His his divine nature, His eternal power are made visible through what He has created. There is no excuse. You can't get to heaven and say, I'm sorry, God, I didn't know. He says there is no excuse. The wise wouldn't give them the oil Because they wouldn't have enough for themselves. It wouldn't do anyone any good. You can't borrow faith in a relationship with Jesus from others. Your grandmother's faith, your mama's faith, your neighbor's faith, it won't do you any good. They can't give it to you. Paul, he wrote, he said, I would die if my friends could have a relationship with Jesus. But he couldn't do it. They were missing the oil. They were missing the oil. And the oil in in many passages represents the Holy Spirit. Represents an anointing, Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to be ready for the return of Jesus. The Holy Spirit goes around the world convicting people of their sin and their unrighteousness. So that they may turn to the Lord. Romans 8 9 says, You whoever are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, you who have been reborn in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You don't have any oil in your life, you can't be a light for Christ. You can't be a light to guide other people. It's impossible. In verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went into him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Couldn't come to the wedding feast, those that weren't there. You remember that from last Sunday, the parable of the wedding feast. There was a a guy that was standing there, and he wasn't wearing the right clothing. And and the king came in, and and man, he just stood out like a sore thumb because he was defiant. He wasn't willing to put on the righteousness of Christ. He wanted to stand there with his own abilities and look at me. And Jesus says, get away from here. I'm throwing you out. You're not taking attention away from my son, Was defiant, not prepared. It's all about me. It's not about the bridegroom. It's not about Christ. It's all about me. Defiant. Verse 11, afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But again, once that door is closed, it never opens again. And I'm going to skip past verse 12. We'll go back to that in a little bit, but verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That's the whole point of this parable, that we must watch and be prepared for Christ's return. Be watchful. We should be watching in hope and joy and anticipation of Christ's return where he'll make all things right again. And be ready. Be ready. The price of failing to be ready is just too high. No one knows when Christ will return. But we must be ready. We must be watchful. You, you should desire the kingdom of God to come fully. Like, that is our home. That's where we'll spend eternity with the Lord. Like You should desire that. You shouldn't desire anything of this world that's broken and sinful. So, for the application for today, it's a little bit longer than normal, but I think it's important to look at. And here in this parable, the wedding feast from last Sunday points out the sin of omission. The sin of omission. So, I ask, is there oil in your lamp? Have you confessed your sins and made Jesus Lord? Have you received the Holy Spirit, been reborn, made God king of your life, that you know Jesus personally, that you have a personal Lord and Savior, not a religion, but a relationship with God? And I believe that this chapter 25 I'm not saying it shows if you're a believer or not, but it definitely tests our heart. It realigns us. And the second part after this parable is the parable of the talents. Again, we're going to go over that next week. But it asks, are you using the talents God gives you? And he doesn't take that lightly, as we'll learn next week. And then the third part of this chapter that we're going to look at today, because we won't have time next week, is are you caring for the least of these? James chapter 4 verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The sin of omission is not doing something the Word of God teaches us to do. You are not saved by your good works. You are saved through faith alone and Christ alone. But good works shows a changed heart. I'm going to read. I, I got to read most of this or it won't make sense. So I'm going to read this. From, you'd rather hear from God's Word than me anyway. So, Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him... I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Now, righteous are those who have put their faith in Jesus, been reborn. So it goes to show, like, if you've been reborn, this is going to be you. The righteous will answer him, saying, Lord... Well, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And here it is. I hope you I hope you hear this. And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It as if you did it to the Lord. You say, "Oh, it's just they got to be a that's my brother, they got to be a believer." I'm not going to take that chance. Jesus says, "You can summarize all the commandments, to love God and love your neighbors, you love yourself." This really means that you did it to the least of these and you did it to me. If you've been reborn spiritually, This is a test of all of our hearts to say, do I have a heart to care for people who are sick or in prison or hungry or naked or? It's kind of convicting to me. In verse 45 through 46, as we skip down, then he will answer them saying, here's the other side of that, the goat's. Truly I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these. You did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, the righteous into eternal life. A true test of our righteousness. Are we using the talents that God has given us? And are we caring for the least of these? Please tell me where I'm wrong on this. It shows our heart. The evidence will speak for itself. Coming to church is great. But we're not going to stand in front of God and say, well, God, I came to church one time a month and I'm great. This is the measure of what he's saying is, did you use the talents? Are you dying to self? That's hard to do. There's this struggle between the spirit and the flesh. It's a really big, hard struggle to die to self and the flesh, to listen to the Spirit, and to use the talents that God has given me to serve others, not only serve others, but those that are in prison, those that are homeless, those that are hungry, those that are thirsty. And I ask, am I passing this test? Am I, I know I'm a believer, but... This struggle, am I? Am I winning the struggle between the flesh and the spirit? You see, true servants of the king do what the king says to do, what pleases the king. You're not doing it for, you're doing it from, for God, you're doing it for Jesus. He it says, as if, as if you were doing it to me. I've heard a lot of people say, like, work is hard, but then when you get this idea that you're, you go to work and you're serving the Lord at your work. You're praying for people, you're, you're on the mission field where you, where you work, and when you start to realize that, like, I'm on mission for the Lord, I'm serving the Lord, I'm working as if I'm doing it to the Lord, it gets easier When we serve people the least of these, if we say we're doing it, we know we're doing it to the Lord, it gets easier. And you don't need my permission to use your talents or to to go serve people that need the light and the hope of Christ. Please don't wait on me to give you permission. Like, Coming here to the church, and that's part of my mission. But the other part of my mission is to go and visit Gordy, who used to sit back here, and now he's in, he's in, he's in prison. Part of that is to go and visit him. Like I, wouldn't, I would still do that if I wasn't getting paid as a pastor. I'm not, the Bible says don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. I try not to say these things, but I think it's important to know like, just because I'm paid as a pastor, that's not why I do the things that I do. I do the things that I do because Christ said to do them. And yes, church is a big part of that. It's Christ's bride. That's really important to the Lord. So I ask, are you ready now? Like if the bridegroom comes back tonight or you take your last breath, are you ready Have you prepared yourself? Do you have your torch and your oil ready to go at a moment's notice? Because if not, the scariest verse in the Bible. I'm not just trying to scare you. I'm just trying to bring you God's word. Because in verse 12 of that parable it says, But he answered, those that were knocking on the door that weren't ready, the door had shut. He said, But he answered, "Truly, I say to you, I do not know you." And other other parts of the Bible says, "Depart from me, I never knew you." It's the scariest verses in the Bible. But to know Jesus, you need a relationship with Him, and only you know if you're prepared. Only you know if you have the Holy Spirit. Only you know that you've confessed that you were a sinner and you've asked Christ to come and live with you, to make Him Lord and King of your life. Only you know that. And today that door is still open, praise God. But one day it will shut and it will not be opened again. We do not know when Christ will return. But we wait, and we watch, and we prepare, and we look at God's Word to test our hearts. I'm going to pray in a minute. Um, I would ask that you would, where you are, just pray to the Lord and, and just in silence take it to Him. Whatever the Lord has put on your heart in these verses. I know I'm fleshly, and I need reset. (laughs) I need God's Word to reset me. And um, there's been some things that I've been confessing to Him about this as well. Um, But I just pray that you would just pray to the Lord as as I pray. And um, if you've never confessed of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus to make Him Lord of your life, pray today would be that day that you would do that. That you would be getting prepared. For Christ's return. So I'm going to pray that. You can pray with me. And then after that, I'm going to turn to Psalm 86, and we're going to pray. We're going to pray over Psalm 86. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Father, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you put things simply in stories that we can understand, that we may be waiting now. We, we may have even fallen asleep But one day you will return. One day we will stand in front of you. And the only thing that you've asked of us is that we would have oil. That we would be ready and prepared. So Lord, I pray there's anyone here that has not received the Holy Spirit. That they would confess their sins. That they would put their faith and trust in you. And that they would become believers. That they would be reborn spiritually. That they would make you Lord of their lives. Lord, there is nothing that we can do to be made right with you outside of faith in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. That his blood covers our sins, that he atones for our sins, that he makes us righteous. That's the only way. We should not stand in our own abilities. In our own might. We should get rid of our pride that God would even look at us anything other than filthy rags no matter how good we think that we are, we are not good. We are not worthy. It's only because of Jesus and the work that He did for us that we are worthy to stand in Your presence as righteous and Lord, I pray that those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus, that when we look at your word, we say, are we using the talents that you have given us for your kingdom today? Because you expect us to use it and not go hide our talents. And are we also caring for the least of these? Because if we love you, we will do it for anyone who is standing next to us because it's as if we're doing it to, the, to, to your son Jesus. That we would die to self. We would pick up our cross daily. And it is a heavy burden to carry, but you are worth it, Jesus. This is not our home. Lord, forgive me for those times that I have not followed you. Help me, because Lord, I need a lot of help. This flesh is so strong. Lord, I pray as we look at Psalm 86 that you would speak into our hearts about who you are and who we are. Lord, as we Lift up your holy name in prayer. Psalm 86 reads Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Lord, I pray that we are looking at ourselves as poor and needy, that we need you. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Lord, I pray we do see ourselves as servants who trust in you. And verse 3 says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant. For you, for to you, O Lord, do I lift my, up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding and steadfast love to all who call upon him. And I pray today that anyone who is calling upon you, Lord, that they would know that you are good And you are forgiving. You always forgive us. If we turn our eyes to you and we ask you, you are faithful. You are quick to forgive us. Verse 6, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. We need your grace, Lord. We don't deserve it. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you for you to answer me. I pray, Lord, anyone here today, they would know that they can come to you because you care. In verse 8, there is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you and shall glorify your name. Lord, when you come and your kingdom comes, that all nations will be before you. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And that fear is like awe and respect for those that are following Jesus. And I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For, you, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol, which is hell. Let's pray, and the worship is gonna come up. We have one more song. Lord, thank you that you have